Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, First Universalist. Please stand and join me in singing the opening hymn, Stand in Body or Spirit, uh, which is number 1022 in your teal hymnal. Open the window. 
case I needed to remember where I am, which is a universalist congregation. Open the window, let the dove fly in. I grew up with shut the door, keep out the devil. So this is, uh, I appreciate this version quite a bit. Um, my name is Reverend Jen Crow. I'm your senior minister here. It is such a joy to be here in the sanctuary and with all of you joining us online or later in the week and to be leading worship today with Reverend Ashley, with Amy and Franco, with John and Olu on tech and Dr. Glenn Thomas who helped us create the service for today. What a joy it is to be together. I bring you some words this morning from Dr. Elias Ortega, who is the president of Meadville Lombard Theological School, one of our Unitarian Universalist seminaries, and he wrote this for the International Transgender Day of Visibility, which was on Friday. He says this, there is a hard lesson I had to learn, and learn it well I did. It goes like this. In any interaction in which I find myself in a position to make a case for my dignity and self-worth, I run two great risks. The first risk is ceding too much ground to attempts to be dehumanized. The second risk is the possibility of granting power to those who consider that my worth can be withheld. No matter what our race, ethnicity, class, sexual preference, gender identity, or nationality, our sense of worth and sacred dignity are not dependent on the measurements others tried to impose, crooked yardsticks that distort and undo. Such a lesson was a weighty one to integrate in my life, he said, but it pushed me to claim my own worth and sacredness as a self-affirmation. I am worthy of love, and I should not let hate, unkindness, or prejudice distort that understanding nor dictate my recognition as a sacred embodying being worthy of regard. Here at First Universalist Church, we begin with the knowledge, with the faith that each and every one of our lives is sacred, that each and every one of us is whole and holy and worthy, that we are welcome and wanted, all of us, no exceptions. Our universalist heritage tells us that love and belonging is not something to be earned. It is not something that can be taken away. It is something that just is. It is our birthright, belovedness. Each of us whole, holy, and worthy, and sacred. Each of us. So in this week, when we have just had the one day International Trans Day of Visibility, I say let's carry it into all the days. And saying especially to those of you who identify as trans or non-binary or gender non-conforming, we know with you that your lives are sacred, that you are whole and holy and worthy exactly as you are, that when you bring your full self to the world, it brings light for all of us. We affirm this worth and dignity that is already true. Here we know that we are born sacred, worthy of dignity and care. If you are new to our community, joining us online or in person, we are especially glad that you are here today. We're excited to welcome you to this community, and we hope you'll join us for a place to start after the service. You can join in person or online. This is an informal conversation, an opportunity for us to learn a little bit more about you and for you to learn a little bit more about First Universalist and Unitarian Universalism. If you're here in person, just meet right up here. You can meet up with Dallas 
Uh, and there's a cool little room behind the sanctuary you'll get to see. Um, and if you're joining us online, look for the link in the chat. So we take time to prepare ourselves to arrive right here, right now. I invite you to settle into your body in whatever way feels comfortable to settle into this time and space to know yourself a part of a larger community and a larger life. For me, I am noticing my feet on the floor, taking a moment to move my neck around to be right here, to breathe more slowly and intentionally. Breathing in, breathing out slowly. Breathing in, breathing out slowly. Once more at your own pace, breathing in and out. During the times when we needed to be apart to care for ourselves and each other. When we sat alone in our homes or dared to go outside to meet a friend or to move through the woods, and for some of us doing this still, we remembered the ways that we carried our loved ones with us. We remembered as the poet E.E. E. Cummings wrote, I carry your heart, I carry it in my heart. We remembered the laughter and wisdom of our loved ones. We held their pictures and stories close. We trusted that our breath might be comfort to each other, connecting across space and time. This morning, we take a moment to mark the three-year anniversary of the death of beloved longtime church member Susan Jack from COVID. We remember all those who lost their lives to COVID during these times apart. And with Susan's wife, Kim, and her children and grandchildren, her family and friends, on all of us, we celebrate the beauty that was her life and is her legacy as we remember her and so many others today through the flowers that make this space beautiful for us all. We carry their hearts. We carry them in our hearts. May our hearts and our breath expand to hold all that was and all that is and all that will be to make room for the stories and legacies of all those who came before and those who are present now as we care for the earth and all of its beings. May we rec recognize the inherent, unquestionable sacredness of all. Come, let us worship together. And let us join in lighting our chalice. You can say the words with me on your screen or up on the projections if you'd like. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great event. Little Mole Finds Hope by Glynis Nellist, illustrated by Sally Garland. Little Mole was sad. He lay in his burrow deep underground and put his head on his paws. 
Little mole, whatever's wrong? asked Mama. I just don't know, Mama, sniffed Little Mole, but I don't feel good inside. I'm sad. What you need is hope, Mama said. Hope? What's hope? Where do I find it? Little Mole asked. Come with me, Mama said, as she took hold of Little Mole's paw. Sometimes hope is hiding in the darkness. Sometimes it's hard to see, but it's always there. You just have to find it. Mama led her son gently out of the dark burrow up toward the light. But on their way out of the tunnel, Mama stopped. Do you see this bulb, little mole? She asked. Mama pointed to a bulb squashed in the dark earth. It was brown, wrinkled, and lifeless. It's dead, Mama, said little mole. No, my dear, Mama whispered softly. This bulb is not dead. Sometime soon, it will feel the warmth of the sun. It will begin to grow and push its way out of the deep, cold earth. One day, this bulb will become a beautiful yellow daffodil. Close your eyes, little mole. Can you see it dancing in the wind? Yes, Baba, cried little mole. I see it. I see it. That is hope, Mama said. Little Mole and Mama reached the top of the burrow where the sun was shining. Look up, Little Mole, Mama said. What do you see? Little Mole looked up. He saw woodpeckers sitting in the trees, but the branches were bare. They stretched out like skeleton bones silhouetted against the sky. They're dead, Baba, said Little Mole. No, dear, Mama whispered softly. The trees are not dead. One day soon, buds will appear, and these branches will be covered in bright green leaves. Close your eyes, Little Mole. Can you see them dancing in the wind? Yes, Mama, cried Little Mole. I see them. I see them. That is hope, Mama said. Little Mole and his Mama scurried along the edge of the woods until they came to Mr. Rabbit's garden. An old brown flower pot was lying on its side in the soil. Under the rim, something small and shriveled was hanging. It's dead, Mama, said Little Mole. No, my dear. The butterfly growing inside will burst out of her shell. She will spread her wings and fly among the flowers. Close your eyes, Little Mole, said Mama. Can you see her dancing in the wind? Yes, Mama cried little bull. I see her. I see her. That is hope, Mama said. Little Mole and his mama went home. I had a wonderful day today, Baba, little Mole said happily. Now I know that there's always hope, even in the darkest places. Mama smiled as she tucked little Mole into bed, pulled his quilt up under his chin, and kissed him goodnight. And little Mole closed his eyes and fell fast asleep, dreaming of yellow daffodils, green trees, and beautiful butterflies dancing together in the wind.
now please rise and body your spirit and join me and sing. Oh, no, I took out my bookmark. Here it is, <laughs> number 1007 in the green teal. There's a river flowing in my soul. What a gift it is to be all together, children, youth, adults, in one space. Such a gift. And I have a poem for us this morning. The Thing Is by Ellen Bass. To love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it, and everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands, your throat filled with the silt of it. When grief sits with you, it's tropical heat thickening the air, heavy as water, more fit for gills than for lungs. When grief weights you down like your own flesh, an obesity of grief, you think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes. And you say, 
yes, I will take you. I will love you again. It's been a long, long, 
There's the message right there. Last week when we gathered, whether it was here or online or listening as you were walking or doing the dishes, we took time together to pause, to pay attention, to notice and name all of the changes that have happened and are still happening for us as individuals, as a community, as a congregation. We entered into this sacred spiritual practice of paying attention slowing down, holding still so that we might catch the thread and feel the rhythms and notice the patterns that we are witnessing emerging in our lives. We cautioned each other about moving too fast, about resisting that headlong tumble into the next moment and instead trying to hold steady there on the cusp of the turning of the moment, to stay there just a little bit longer to notice, to pay attention, to pause. This paying attention is a form of prayer all of the ancient traditions teach us. I told you last week this telephone-style story, right? A story that I heard from someone who heard it from someone else, heard it from someone else, about going down into the heart of a mountain to find wisdom and healing and insight that the travelers would start at the top and make their way like a spiral down into the heart of it, down into the center where they would receive those words of wisdom and healing and insight. And then, as we tend to want to do, those folks who had received the healing would want to run up the mountain to share the good news with everyone, to tell about what they'd heard, to let their bright ideas out into the world. And when they did, it would dissipate and go away. So we talked about how new wisdom emerged so that after going down inside to the heart of that mountain, after receiving that healing, folks would then move slowly up and out, that there were way stations put in place so that folks would be encouraged, maybe even forced lovingly, to pause and rest for a while to let that wisdom and knowledge integrate into their very being so that when they finally came out again at the top, it was unshakable. It could not be taken away, could not dissipate. We took time last week to write down on paper or to type into the chat and have it transcribed here words and images that maybe symbolize some of our losses some of our changes that we have experienced. And you came forward, or we put them up here for you, all across the chancel. And we've held those words and images all week. I encouraged us to stay there in that noticing and naming and paying attention. And I want to make space for us today. Perhaps you weren't with us last week, or perhaps you continued to notice and name What has changed for you? What is lost? And perhaps you want to write those words or symbols down on this dissolving paper today. So the ushers are getting some of that paper and the pens. So as I keep on talking, if you want to raise your hand, if you need paper or pen, they'll be happy to bring it to you so you can add 
collectively to what you've noticed is changing, what has been lost for you or for this community over the last few years. So if you need paper, they're making their ways around, um, and I know they're looking out for you. So, because the thing is, we have been holding on to a lot. We've been holding on to so much in our community and our congregation, so much collectively. We've been holding on to expectations of how things would be or should be. We've been holding on to the loss of those patterns and routines, things that supported us and our family. I'm noticing we've got folks down in the front who are looking for paper too. I know it'll take time, but I'm grateful for this. We have been holding so much. Maybe we have come face to face with illusions we needed to let go of or history that we needed to hear. We've been holding on to so much. It can help to begin to let some of it go. There's so much that we have lived through. As my kids say, I can't unsee that. This thing has happened and it's with me. It's just how it is. So this pausing and paying attention, this naming and noticing, these are all spiritual practices on their own. Things that we can do, each powerful. Spiritual practices are anything that we do on purpose, on a regular basis, to intentionally connect with the holy, with the spirit of life, with our deepest self, with the movement and rhythm of life, or the sense of interconnectedness that is true at its heart for all of us and all beings. Pausing, noticing, naming are all forms of spiritual practice. Opportunities, as the transcendentalists said, for light to shine in on our souls. And this pausing, paying attention, noticing, naming, they are one part, and there's more if we choose to go there. This more, is turning, is maybe leaning in to the turning that happens. I notice this possibility most often when some big thing has happened in my life, some major change has occurred. Some of these turns are easy to lean into, like when we had our kids and added new folks to our family. When new life arrived, be it in the form of animals or the gardening or people, I welcome that turn. I am ready for that. But when it is loss, when it is an unwelcome or unwanted change, I am far more resistant to leaning in to that kind of turn. I've come to notice a pattern in my own life. It might be true for you too, but after one of those unwelcome, unwanted changes, like for me, uh, the election in 2016, uh, the morning after my mom had died, right? The mornings after the killings of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and Philando Castile and George Floyd. Every morning for weeks after our house fire. This moment comes for me in the morning usually when this monumental thing has shifted and yet the sun is still coming up. The dog still wants to go out. 
people are still moving around in the world almost as if nothing had happened out to get their coffee full of their worries and plans for the day. And I don't want to move. I don't want the world to turn. I want everything to stop, to pay respect to the big change that has just happened. I want things to slow down and pause for a good long time. And yet, somehow there it is, the sun still coming up. I go outside and the wind is moving or the river is running and I think it should all be quiet. But there it is, that morning after the big change. My mentor and friend, the Reverend Rob Eller Isaacs, said to me once after one of those times, using his kind of old-timey but still in-your-face language, is it beyond thee, he said, is it beyond thee to turn with the turning of the seasons? Is it beyond thee to turn with the turning of the seasons? Like I said, he was using his way of talking, but in my head, I heard it in my own language, and this is what I heard. Are you so different? Are you so different from all the world around you, so different from the people who have endured great hardship in the past, so different from the tulips and the bulbs that are somehow peeking out from the frozen ground by the side of the building? Are you so different from the river that is finding a way to run again? Are you so special and unique that you, Jen, will remain stubborn and unmoving like the two-year-old or the teenager you sometimes feel like inside, so stubborn that you will refuse to change even when everything is changing around you. He said it more kindly than that. <laughs> Way more kindly, but that's how I was talking to myself in my head. Is it beyond thee to turn with the turning of the seasons? I don't remember what situation it was that I brought to him that he said this to me, but I do remember wanting to kick him in the shins when he said this. I was not interested in that bit of wisdom. But this turning that he was talking about, this turning with the turning of the seasons, it's a real thing for me, for us to recognize Things are moving all around us, whether we want them to or not. And we can choose, I can choose, to lean in, to pause, to lean in again, to try, maybe just to stop and name and notice. This is not a one-and-done kind of thing where we make a decision, yep, I'm going to flow with the change with so much ease. At least for me, it's something that happens in fits and starts sometimes with a lot of anger and resistance and holding on with claw marks to how it was. Sometimes, though, I can let go a little bit and lean in. And I'll tell you that that feeling of collective flow, of moving with the flow of life, for me often feels better when I'm ready than my own resistance to what is. I'm guessing that like many of you here in Minnesota, like we are all together watching. We are watching for the turning of the seasons. <laughs> it is hard to find sometimes, but we are watching. I am watching. Last week it was here. 
Last week, I saw it, the dirt that was coming out from underneath the snow. We marked it every day at my house. More dirt, more dirt, more dirt. We were listening to the sounds of the water running down the street, and I was saying thank you in a big, loud voice to my neighbors who were out there clearing out the storm drains so the water could move. It was happening. Somehow it's still happening. We're still watching, though, right? Every time I come up on 36th and I see Padei Makaska down at the bottom of the hill, I am looking I am looking for the day when there will be a bit of thaw and open water in that lake. And I remember that one day we'll be down there wearing shorts on the beach. One day there'll be waves lapping up there on some of that sand. It's coming. It's a bumpy ride to get from here to there. It's messy and sticky. We freeze and unfreeze. We let go and grab back on. We slip in the mud or on the ice that we were so sure was finally gone. There are iterations in our spiritual journey, revolutions around that spiral of spiritual growth, times of action and reflection and learning and trying again with new skills, new ideas, doing it again and again. We can't always force this change to happen, the movement. We might need to go back and forth a bit, turning in our practice, naming and noticing as we go. Yesterday, I spent some time, maybe like others of you too, br brushing gently the ice and snow off of some limbs of a tree that were hanging over the fence in our yard. And as I was brushing gently those branches, I could see that there were buds encased in ice there at the tip. I had to be so gentle so they wouldn't break. It's in there. That life, that turning is happening. We are part of something so much bigger than just ourselves with our freezing and unfreezing. We are not unique. It is not beyond us to turn with the turning of the seasons. Now, some of this turning happens whether we like it or not. And like I said, some of it we can lean into. And so what I am wondering as we come together today, I wonder what is our part to play in the turning of the seasons and the revolutions of our heart and our spirit? Where is there room for us to clear those spiritual storm drains so that the water might move and flow more freely? What is the work for each of us as individuals, as a community, to do to make room for that turn to happen? If even some small part of us believes that God or the holy or the spirit of life is in change, is in the movement, if even some part of us believes that each and every one of us is whole and holy and worthy and wanted, if we believe that love is an action verb, not just a state of being, that it requires us to extend ourselves for each other, what is our part to play in moving from noticing and naming what is changing to leaning into the turns, to trusting life, sometimes haltingly, sometimes wholeheartedly. What is our work to do 
to lean into that turn, to move maybe for moments from individual resistance to the state of collective flow, to move with life. How might we, as the poet said at the beginning of all this, take life back into our gentle, grateful, cupped hands? Not fancy life, not violet eyes or charming smile, but a plain face of life in our gentle, grateful, cupped hands and say, yes, I will love you again. What is our work to do? That is my question for us today. Isn't it good to have her back? Trust. Trust life. Not all of us have a particularly easy time with trust. When I am struggling with a word like that, my inner or not so inner nerd comes out to play and I, like you are trained to do in seminary, look up the ancient Greek biblical word, which turns out to be the same word as expect, expect and trust come from the same word. So when we say trust life, we actually are saying expect life. (laughs) Reframe. When we say trust love, trust God, trust change, trust sun, we say instead expect love. Expect God, expect change, expect the sun. I love that. We're going to practice some trust and expectation now together. And if you wrote on your dissolving paper during this time of sitting, you can bring it forward now and just put it up on the chalice. On the chalice, not on the chalice. We're not going to light it on fire. (laughs) Just going to put it in this basket. And while you are moving forward with your releasing, your entrusting, you can also just start noticing your breath. Wow, we have a lot of letting go to do. This is impressive, you all. Breathing, noticing. Breathing and letting yourself rest into the pew. Breathing and noticing that you are being held by that pew. Or if you are joining us online, you are being held by some form of chair or ground. Breathing and trusting that the next breath will also come. Expecting that next breath. 
Let us just sit now for a couple minutes with that word trust or with that word expect. Seeing what happens in your body as you sit with it. Now come back into this space. This morning when I got up before the rest of my family to have just a few sequential minutes of focus time, I did this practice and into my mind popped an image of one of my great spiritual teachers, my toddler. Each night, her trust of sleep disappears. She claims, in fact, that she does not sleep. We have tried taking pictures of her while she's sleeping to prove to her that, yes, she does sleep. And we show them to her before bed sometimes when she's worried, and she says, I was just pretending. The truth is that she does have a hard time releasing herself to sleep each night. But once she falls asleep, she is a deep, heavy, peaceful sleeper. So lately we've discovered that she can trust sleep more easily when she's not alone. And just before she falls asleep, she has taken to touching my face when I'm lying right next to her, often with both hands, with her eyes closed, like she's trying to bring me with her into sleep. When one of her moms is lying gently next to her, she can trust and expect sleep. It turns out, Trust is a group project, or at least not an alone project. So right over here is what you have entrusted to our collective care for release. Oh, bonus, Vanna White. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna put them in with the other pieces, your beloved community members from the first service entrusted. And I'm going to pour the water, communion water over them. We know how to make that last and stretch. And it will let it just flow over the changes we've made and named holding them together, letting them transform together, dissolving them. This is, after all, because Dr. Glenn Thomas is brilliant, compostable paper. It will nourish life when we are ready to release it.
May it be so, and may we sing. Spirit of life. <laughs> That's okay. I, you get to like watch me practice being imperfect. All of us. <laughs> Spirit of life, come unto me. Sing in my heart all the stirrings of compassion. Blowing the wind, rising. I kid you not, the word isolation was one of the last to dissolve on top. Right? This is the time when we practice the antidote to isolation. It is when we practice beloved community instead in really concrete ways. And I would like to invite Shashtin Bayer forward to share some of her story of giving and connection to this community. Thank you, Ashley. Good morning. So good to see all of you today. Thank you for being here and sharing this space together. I am uh, honored to speak to you about why I support this beloved community. But first, I'm going to take us back about three years to December of 2019 to a gift that I received. It was a gift from a friend, a beautiful black bowl that was broken and repaired again with gold in the Japanese practice of kintsugi. And kintsugi is this practice of putting something that was loved, that was whole, that became imperfect, together in a way that makes it more beautiful than it was before, through that collaborative effort between the human, the pieces, and the glue, the gold that holds it together. January, one month later, I was here at Remembrance Sunday, and Reverend Jen Crow was preaching about the only antidote to grief being, being this feeling of belovedness, 
of feeling beloved. And I was so grateful for this tool because I've always been afraid of death, especially of those who are near and dear to me. And I thought, oh good, now I have something concrete that I can hold in the future, some way, way far in the future, I hope, where I might need this tool. I might need to know that I have an antidote to grief, that this belovedness will feed me. Just a few short weeks later, my father unexpectedly passed away. And before he did, I told him of that Remembrance Sunday, and I told him that there was a candle that was lit and there was a name that I recognized. It was the last name of a friend of his who had just lost a grandson, and this candle was for him. And after that service, I went up to that mother, empowered by this, this edict to go and tell people they are beloved when they are grieving. And I told her our family had been holding her and her family close over the past year. And I felt a little silly afterwards. I didn't know this woman. Why did I do that? Why did I feel compelled to say that? And I told my dad, and I thought, ugh. And he said, no, it's good. It's good that you did that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for reaching out to that family and letting them know that we have been holding them close. Well, those few weeks later, I was the one who now was on the receiving end as folks that I knew and didn't know who my dad had touched, who I had only heard about, was coming to me with that love. It was folks in this community, it was our ministers, it was some of you, it was somebody I didn't even know who brought a meal to my family and nourished us and helped put us back together, piece by piece. It was around that time, as you might recall, that the whole world shut down, and all of a sudden we were practicing our community online together through Zoom. And I started this little quote book, writing down notes that I, messages I received through those, those services. One, one quote that was particularly meaningful to me at that time, I feel reflected here in these beautiful textiles behind us, and it's perhaps they are not stars in the sky, but rather openings where our loved ones shine down to let us know they are happy. Inuit proverb. Ogmandino said, I will love the light, for it shows me the way, yet... I will endure the darkness, for it shows me the stars. Piece by piece, I was being held and put back together. Arif Mamdani, probably around this time of year, three years ago, said to us, help us remember the truth that is change. Help us remember that spring does not always come gently, but it always brings flowers. Jen Crow said to us, there are no other people's children. I felt that very deeply during that time as I was loved and held by other parents as I had lost mine. Reverend Karen Hutt preached to us, may our hearts be too tender of those of another country's skin, color, religion, etc., that we move as one human family, one love, where everyone is welcome, worthy, and wanted. 
May we hold these words in our hearts when we decide to go out again, knowing that we too are welcome, worthy, and wanted. Let us create that community together. I am honored to be a part of this community, a community that invites all people in just as they are, all their broken imperfections, to feel loved and belong. I also be, appreciate being challenged, being asked to grow, being expected to join others in transforming our collective spiritual energy into action. For me, making a financial commitment is about reciprocity. It's about sharing our resources so we can both provide tangible nourishment and show gratitude for all that we receive. That we receive through song, that we receive through inspiration, that we receive through comfort, that we receive through joy. That we receive when we are broken, but that we all together harness our collective love to put us, each of us, back together. That gold, that glue that holds us individually and collectively together is that love, and I thank you all for it. Thank you. Thank you. Now we collect our offering this week's offering goes to Simpson Housing Services, and I invite you to give boldly. And I also remind you that if this is a week when you need to practice the spiritual work of receiving our care, please talk to one of us after worship, and we will connect you. If you are online, please email, and I will put my email in the chat. Let us receive our offering now.
and now we will sing. <laughs> Number 299 in the gray hymnal, make channels for the streams of love. Please stand in body or spirit and join me. May love flow freely for us in our lives. May we do the work of clearing out those spiritual storm drains of our hearts, that the channels of love might flow freely within, among, and beyond us. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. If you've been nourished by what you've heard, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org donate to make your gift. We are a faith community committed to dismantling oppression and building beloved community. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.